3: The Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, a a little later on, I'm going to have Jacob Padilla to talk about uh, Nebraska basketball opening its season. But right now, I've got Brandon Vogel joining me remotely via Zoom. Brandon, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
3: I'm very envious of your bookshelf. And I think about this every time we're on like a team's call or a Zoom call or whatever. I see your bookshelf and I'm like, "This this is the way that an adult's office is supposed to look. And it's my goal to have a bookshelf like this one of these days.
1: Yeah, this isn't going to translate for the podcast, but I actually wrote all of these for just just since just since the start of the pandemic.
3: Oh yeah, so. yeah. You have just a, a bookshelf or a bookcase that
1: covers an entire wall
3: in your home, and
1: yeah, I wrote them all. A lot of them are under pen names. You won't, you know, if you search Brandon Vogel on Amazon, you won't find them. Um, but it's just something I like to do in my spare time. You will find one though. You will find one. Yeah. <laughs> Dream Like a Champion uh, with John Cook. Check that out ahead of ahead of Nebraska Volleyball getting started here hopefully in another few weeks. Uh, team is loaded for bear, so that's going to be fun.
3: I honestly did not plan to plug your volleyball book in this podcast, and it just kind of organically happened. Um, hey. I would like to have a bookcase in my home, though, uh, but uh, my wife is hell-bent on our like second room that is currently being used as an office being like a guest space, even though we've never had guests come visit us. And so there has to be a futon in there on the wall instead of a bookcase. And the futon has to be like available to be made up anytime, even though we've never had anyone come to visit us. And Same. with with COVID, we might not have anyone come visit us for like the next decade.
1: So, <laughs> well, that, that that's true. We don't entertain a lot of guests, but uh, in when it, when we were looking at a new house, like a guest room was was high on the uh, on the list of needs. So I get it. My bookshelf recommendation is so these are like they're fine. They're they're kind of crappy IKEA bookshelves that I've had for like a decade more than a decade at this point, And I don't really like them any much. My, my bookshelf advice, my professional bookshelf advice is once you feel like you're settled someplace, find a person to build you custom bookshelves. That's the move. So. Ooh. That does yeah. seem like the move. Yeah. Cause then you can, you know, you can get them whatever, like whatever kind of whatever you want them to look like, whatever size restrictions you need. Um, you can do it. Like these these have worked fine. Like I said, I'm still using them more than a decade later. But uh, that's that's the play. Do you
3: have a book recommendation that's on your shelf? Um
1: let me turn and look quick. Um so this middle section is like the sports sports reference section. And then we've got fiction over there, nonfiction over here. I'm going to say, just because it's the one catching my eye at the moment, the courting of Marcus Dupree. Well, here you go. You're an Oklahoma grad. Um, I'm sure you probably saw the 30 for 30 on Marcus Dupree. Uh, Willie Morris was a, I think he was an English professor. He's a professor or something at Ole Miss and and kind of covered that Marcus Dupree recruitment. Uh, <laughs> 25 years before ESPN ever got there. It's a really excellent book. It's really well written. So if you're in the college football market, uh, according to Marcus Dupree is really, really good book. Hmm.
3: My mom asked me for a Christmas list because I'm still a child and I still give my mom Christmas lists, uh, in, in like late November, early December. And there are a bunch of books on my Christmas list this year. One of them, uh, I'm very excited about it's, it's like the, the modernization of premier league soccer and how it has kind of happened by Michael Cox. Um, I will add this Marcus Dupree book to the list. I got a message back from my mom because there there are Nike socks and then books. And she's like, this is a very very weird Christmas list from you. So um, <laughs> let's talk about Nebraska football. We're recording this on a Wednesday early this week. You might be listening to this on Thursday. You might be listening to it on Friday morning because Nebraska football is playing Friday morning or Friday afternoon or at noon. Uh, and, and I... Imagine a bunch of people have on their Christmas list decent Nebraska football for the first time in a long time. Um, Last week was, and we'll talk about this, bad? I don't know. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate about you Brandon and people will probably roll their eyes cause you're my boss and this is going to sound kind of kiss assy, but like you, you don't get caught up in like the emotional swing of like one specific game. See, I have a proclivity for takes and I kind of can run hot and cold and you're just like, no, 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 let's just kind of stay grounded in our, in our take tank, so to speak, and just kind of work through things methodically. Were you, Frost called it an embarrassing moment that he didn't see coming the 41 23 loss to Illinois. What, what was your overall feeling after that game? Like, are you, are you worried about the direction of this program? Let's just start here. Are you worried about the direction of this program after that one game or, you know, was it like, okay, let's, it's, it's not as bad as it looked.
1: Um, I, I think it might be both of those things. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's reason for concern just because, um, you know, you're you're now four games in, so that was game four of uh, year three. So, you know, what would that have been the equivalent of? Would that have been this? It would have been the Cincinnati game under the the normal 2020 schedule, normal 2020 twelve game schedule. Which, <laughs> based on how Cincinnati looks, uh, maybe not a bad thing <laughs> that Nebraska missed out on the Bearcats. Might have been but a that's slaughter. Kind of, that's kind. Of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I
3: said I was just going to say it might have been a slaughter.
1: Yeah, and and that's kind of the overall point. But the difference there would have been is like Cincinnati was a preseason top 25 team and people expected them to be good. and They've been even better. Illinois is is not, you know, it's probably not going to finish a year better than it did last year. I'd be surprised if that were the case. Um, But it's still a conference team. Uh, But the point is, is like it was further proof of, oh, Nebraska's not past this yet which in year three, and really even in year two, and this was why last year was so angsty, it wasn't ever actually, I think, about hype. It was about the fact that Nebraska didn't live up to that hype. Like, you have a natural progression, whether it be for an individual player, uh, be that a quarterback, maybe, um, or a team of, okay, year one, we'll we'll grant any team anything. Um, It's just make improvement. And if it doesn't show up on the field, that's not a problem necessarily. Though everyone would love it if it did. Uh, You get to year two, you expect to see some progress. And there wasn't a ton last year. It was the same thing that we're kind of seeing now, which is the issue. The heart of the issue is Frost is saying, we're seeing the progress internally. Like there's no doubt in my mind that this will work. But until you, you, the person on the outside can see it, Uh, you just kind of have to take him at his word. And and the longer that goes, fewer and fewer people are able to continue believing that. So I think that was a large source of the angst in terms of how bad did it look. Nebraska played about as poorly as I think you can play. And sometimes that just happens, which isn't to excuse it. It's just like there's little doubt in my mind that they'll play better against Iowa doesn't mean they'll beat Iowa? No, not necessarily. But they won't play as poorly, I don't think, as they played at Illinois. I
3: think the saving grace right now is that they played a half toe-to-toe with Ohio State, who might be one of the best teams in the country. Um, they only lost by eight points to Northwestern, who also might be one of the best teams in the country that might have one of the best defenses in the country. So, like, there's there's good stuff from them on tape in year three, there's also just some really bad stuff there's some and there's some really bad stuff like everybody you know talks about the Penn State win. they only had 95 yards of offense in the second half. It wasn't like you know they they escaped with a win in that game. It wasn't like they you know took it away from Penn State. Penn State just missed at the end. Um, a little bit of breaking news on the podcast Rashad Bateman has opted out again. Minnesota oh, wide receiver. Wow. After further dialogue with Coach Fleck and my family, we decided that after this most recent COVID-19 outbreak and the cancellation of this weekend's Wisconsin-Minnesota game that it made the most sense to begin to focus on the next stage of my career. Minnesota. Has it been a rougher year for Nebraska or for Minnesota?
1: Man. Uh, That's that's hard to to say. It might be Minnesota. Because like...
3: Because so much of of last year, you know, it was like, okay, you were really good. You surprised a lot of people, but now it was like, okay, can you, can you, they almost had to validate what they did last year a little bit with the way that they played this year. And I think, you know, maybe it's not totally on Flack or Minnesota. Like maybe, you know, there are forces outside their control working here, but like they're, they're kind of invalidating what they did in a lot of people's eyes, which kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, it does. I, I, I think I kind of looked at this year coming in, um, back when we thought it would be a, a potentially normal year as a slight step back for, for Minnesota. So if, if the expectation broadly was for them to come out and say, yep, this program is built to be here to stay last year wasn't a fluke. Like, I don't know if I ever expected that or if I ever thought that was that fair of an expectation? Like they just lost so much defensively. And that's the issue right now. They're getting murdered on on defense. Like teams are just creating scoring chances virtually every time they have the ball. So it seems. Um and they, they can't stop anybody. They are and last it,
3: in the conference in rushing yards per carry allowed. Dead last.
1: Yep. yep it's it's uh it's a huge problem and and so that's even greater than what you'd expect from just having to replace some pretty key players. But Mohamed Ibrahim's been as good as anybody in the league, like regardless of position, I think. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, yeah, they took a step back. It's probably a bigger step back than even you would have projected. And then you've got things like this. So Bateman has been out and then back in, didn't go the way, you know, Minnesota, their, their season, you know, they're just, they're, they're playing out the string and they also, had to cancel this week. So there's that part of it too. Um, And then he's opted back out. (laughs) So those are the parts of things that like, you know, might add a little bit of fuel to the fire, but probably shouldn't, I guess.
3: Uh, Let's go back to Nebraska. And I think the place that everybody would assume that we would start would be quarterback. You kind of mentioned it. But I want to start with the offensive line because I I think what we're seeing right now is, is incredibly problematic. You talked about showing progress. This is year three. They have. There's no excuse on their offensive line. None. They have two senior guys. One at, at left tackle. One who used to be a right tackle. Now he's at right guard, kind of playing center. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're trying to play him at center. I feel like it weakens two spots for them. But that's whatever. We might get into that. We might not. We don't have to. Um, the, the, they like the advanced metrics on on this offensive line. It doesn't say that Nebraska is terrible, but when you watch them, does it? It looks like they're getting worse week in and week out. Does it not? Like, we had a question in our mailbag this week that says, you've seen four games, who are your starters on the offensive line? And you know, I didn't provide any context, but I said, I'm replacing Cam Juergens with Will Farniak and moving Matt, Matt Farniak back to right guard. Ethan Piper has been okay. Brendan Hymas has been okay. Like, there's nobody that's been great, right? Like, that offensive line, we were told that that offensive line was going to be one of the strengths of the team that they were going to be a team that could run the ball really well. This projected as a team that was going to be able to run the ball really well. I mean, part of it is they have zero downfield passing threat, and so teams are playing them. Teams are playing the run. Teams have no respect for their passing game. They're playing the run. They're loading the box. They're playing their corner soft. They're bringing safeties up. That's not helping. But like their offensive line right now, it, it, it seems like it's trending in the wrong direction. Would you agree with that? Or are you surprised by that?
1: Um, yeah, it's it's not headed the way that I thought it would be. And it's it's been a bit of a disappointment because I thought, like part of my optimism around Nebraska football going into this year was that group. Um, with the experience they had coming back, the fact that somebody like Ben Hart kind of won a job and allowed – um, Matt Farniok to quote unquote move to his, his, his best position um, w- was encouraging. So, I mean, obviously you're going to live with some, some growing pains there with just a, a redshirt freshman and a young player. Um, but as a group and, you know, and moving Greg Austin giving him the run game coordinator title and who knows what that actually means in practice. Um, it's just a title, really, to us. Like, who you know, we haven't been able to see any practice whatsoever, and even the parts we would see in a normal year probably aren't offering a lot of insight. But it's it is trending in the wrong direction. Like the run game, Nebraska's stats are are weird. Like their rushing success rate is still relatively strong. Their O line yards are still relatively strong. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that was from doing decent work early on. And and you're right. It's, it's been going the wrong way. So to, to look at that and, you know, you could potentially run a lot of those guys back in in the future, but you're at a point now where it's like, do you want to, should it just be an open competition again for everybody? Um, Which, you know, technically it is to some degree, but I, I don't know. And I don't know what, you know, how much missing, Mills at, at running back has to do with that but it feels like you know I see I, I go back to this all the time but that Minnesota game last year where you could just like see the frustration dripping off frost as he talked about we can't run the ball we the, our best runs are quarterback runs like are things any different right now no like, they're not the quarterbacks are are there two le- you know leading rushers both in terms of yards and attempts uh, and, and yeah, uh, Mills had, has missed basically two games now. But your answer in that scenario was to 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 run Ron, Wandale Robinson, a guy that we talked all offseason about not wanting to kind of put those miles on him. So it's it, it it's kind of a bizarre mess. And, and I do think you have to start with the offensive line uh, when looking at that.
3: Yeah, it's. McCaffrey has more carries. He has 56. Now I haven't factored sacks out of this. I probably should, but just just looking at the raw numbers, he has 56 rushing attempts this season. There are four running backs that have played have 53. So like, And, and I think, too, that, that some of the quarterback rushing stuff is kind of smoke and mirrors just because of what McCaffrey's been able to do scrambling just because, I mean, and Adrian is this way, too. They are dynamic runners of the football runners of the football they're not you know Jerry's still out on McCaffrey as a passer but they don't have tremendous passers right now but those guys are kind of undeniably dynamic runners with the football and so like like I said it's kind of smoke and mirrors a little bit right now the the thing that is um maybe most I'm not gonna say alarming but surprising to me is center right now um Cam Jurgens has another foot thing this is starting to look like maybe this is a guy where you shouldn't have packed as much weight onto his frame as you did, as quickly as you did, or, and this would be um, more problematic in the long term, he's not a guy that can handle that much weight on his frame because he continues to have foot things. It, it is Nebraska in an issue right now because it doesn't have a center on the roster. It doesn't have a true center on the roster. Cam Jurgens is a converted tight end. He's snapped the ball for two years. Will Farniak was not a center in high school. Is, is this position an issue for you? And like I said, like when they move Matt, I don't understand moving Matt Farniak to center because Frost said it um, in, in his availability on Wednesday. He said, he essentially said that Matt Farniak practices at right guard during the week and has been. And so moving him to center for game days, they either don't trust or... Will Farniak or something is going on there. I don't know. I can't put a finger on it, but like, is it alarming to you that they do not have a center on the roster and have not recruited and correct me if I'm wrong, but don't have one in this recruiting class and now we're in year three?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think they you know, they made the kind of the bold move to to move Jurgens there. And I think a lot of people uh, could see why, why they would do that. And, and, and you're right. You're like, you're looking at kind of a, a nagging or either a nagging inju- injury or, you know, just one of those guys who has a propensity to deal with injuries a lot. And, you know, we've all seen guys come through uh, various programs and sports like that. And it sucks when that happens, but <laughs> some people just are just a little bit unlucky on that front. Um, so, so they're either in a, in a spot where they like their backup right guard better than they like their backup center, hence moving, moving Matt Farniak to center. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a problem because where does that leave you? you know, you're, you're kind of looking at, okay, well, when is the backup center going to get ready? You know, A.J. Forbes, who, who was a walk-on but was a player I liked quite a bit, um, decided to transfer. Uh, you know, I think he would have been in the mix there. Who knows? You know, you're, you're just projecting, but yeah, you would like to not have to reshuffle again if cam can't go. And, and that was, you know, to go back to what we expected to the offensive line, that was supposed to be another thing that was a little bit different this year, just a little bit more of a rotation, have some more bodies available. And that's been the case of a couple of spots, but center's not one of them. And it's hard because you don't notice Having a good center when you have one, but you sure notice it when you're struggling at that spot, and that's kind of where Nebraska's at. So, and, and I hate to, I don't
3: want to harp on the kids, but like, and I, I don't think Matt Farniak has particularly been great at right guard either, and he's kind of talked about the the speed there. It was something that he's had to adjust to. Now he played on the perimeter, so the speed is different. It's different. He's going to have to adjust, and, and he's had to. He's had to adjust to it. Um, what? Where do you where do you place the blame right now? And this is kind of, you know, this could lead to just a, a more broad offensive discussion because a lot of the discussion this week has been coaches talking about, hey, we got to put these players in in a better position to succeed, and the players are talking about, hey, we got to execute, and both things are true. But, like, where do you, who – who is – is it, like, 45-55 leaning towards the coaches? 55-45 leaning towards the players executing? Like, where are you at right now? Because this offensive line, like we said, was supposed to be a strength. Brennan Hymas was talked about as a guy who could be one of the best left tackles in the, in the conference and the country. That hasn't – has not happened. Is this a development thing and a, a development issue? Is this just an execution issue? Like, where are you
1: at with that? Yeah, I think, um, uh, and I guess to to try and account for my own potential bias here, like if you were to take like a six and six team and <laughs> just pluck them at random and say why are they six and six by default setting is probably like sixty percent coaching, forty percent players. Um, I, I just think particularly at the college level, coaching matters the most and when you factor in that the coaches are the ones who select the talent you're also kind of covering recruiting with that too so i guess with with that being the case i maybe you add a little bit to the coaches tab like they've gotten they've had some really high profile wins on the offense line recruiting wise and and, you know and those guys are still young so so maybe it's just a little bit too early like realistically i haven't sat down and watched intently bryce Binhart. you know he's more a guy who pops onto my radar when i see him doing something good or something bad so i get either ends of the extreme but just to look at what he's actually doing you know might be a, a more fair judge of where they're at offensive line wise but when you look at the offense as a whole, they've tried to build that wide receiver depth. Um, even if like all of the guys that they brought in or that stayed in from this recruiting class, were playing and doing big things. They'd still want to be deeper. So I think there's some misses there. You know, you can look back at that 2018 class with the junior college guys that they brought in that you didn't get the production you needed to help you right away out of there. I mean, I think there's been some recruiting misses here. And, and, and that's, that, that's part of it. But the strange thing about the offensive line is I wouldn't say that that's the case yet. Um, I mean, I'm certainly not chalking up Cam Jurgens as a miss at this point, even though he was recruited as a tight end. So I, I look at it and it's, it's always tough to assess that the, between are the, are the players being coached at an appropriate level? And if so, then are they not executing it it's hard because Nebraska, I think misses on both of those occasionally um, throughout these games. And and it feels like a little bit of a cop-out or a kind of middle of the road answer, but you're still fighting that, that war on both fronts, at least from what we've seen so far.
3: Does some of this offensive line stuff sort of maybe not excuse, but explain away what's going on with quarterback or, or maybe like in your eyes help to not make the quarterback position look like it has regressed so much like because you know like you think about <clears throat> the way that McCaffrey has operated in his two starts he hasn't had great line play teams are blitzing him teams are bringing pressure he's kind of running for his life a little bit one of his interceptions his one interception against Penn State he got hit and it just kind of floated up so when when we talk about the quarterbacks which i guess we'll do next how much does the offensive line play factor into your evaluation of the quarterback play so far?
1: A little bit. Um, so in terms of pass protection, Nebraska hasn't been great, but I don't feel like it's been terrible there, um, which you know is, is even that a little bit disappointing, I guess, would be the question because if you're a good, talented offensive line, which I liked the talent level uh, at Nebraska coming in, And, you know, it's not like this year has wiped that all out entirely, but it hasn't been as good as I thought it would be. Um, Like pass blocking should be technically the easy part. Now, you know, you're going to run into matchups where um, nobody's blocking Chase Young. You know, that's just a tough day at the office for whoever has to take that assignment. But for the most part, like pass blocking should be the easy part. Um, So, yeah, I think you added in. You look at that, that interception with McCaffrey against Penn State where he was hit, that was one. But then you go to that, that Illinois game, and it seemed like he had enough time for, for what they wanted to do. It was more his own stuff of sitting back there and not seeing it or, or seeing the wrong things or not being confident enough in where guys were and where they were supposed to be to just make quick throws, you know, how much time did he spend kind of sitting back there and what was that play designed? Like what, you know, how quickly is he supposed to get through that progression? And that was kind of, you know, I think against the North against Northwestern, certainly was something you notice with Martinez is he just, there was a lot of kind of the upload speeds weren't, weren't really quick for, for lack of a better term. You know, you could see him sitting back there and kind of laboring through it. So, so that part I kind of put solely on the quarterbacks and, and how they're presumably being taught, and, and and that I don't think you can you can you can chalk up to the offensive line. Okay,
3: I don't yet want to go to talking about offensive coaches needing to maybe lose their jobs. I don't want to go there yet. I know some people might be there yet. I don't want to go there yet. Let's just get this question off the jump. Are you? Do you go back to Adrian Martinez? Or do you stick with Luke McCaffrey? Luke is a redshirt freshman. He's only started two games. Nebraska lived with Adrian Martinez's warts in 2018. He did, you know, he had his kind of, oh, my God, what the heck did you just do moment against Ohio State in the horseshoe. Luke McCaffrey had his, oh, my God, what did you just do moment against Illinois on the first play of the game. It sucked. Frost said it's a a mistake that you can't make. It was a terrible call, but also – he put them in that position with the decision that he made, right? So, like, neither guy has been great, and Luke hasn't... It doesn't look like he's going to be able to sustain what they hoped they were going to get by going to him. At least that, that's, that that's, that's what it looks like through the first two games. So, do you go back to Adrian, or do you go with Luke? I wrote, after they made the decision, I was like, it, it feels like... Or before they made the decision, I said, it feels like the... Part of the reason that this decision is weighing on Frost is because this feels like the moment where, if you switch quarterbacks, it ends. It turns the page on the Adrian Martinez era. It moves to the next one. It it says, "All right, Luke, this is your time now." Adrian, we tried it; it didn't work. Now you're two games through, and we're back to, "Well, do you go back to him?" What do you think?
1: Not having. S- Seen either guy practice this week. Um, of course, I think from a I guess then theoretical standpoint, I, I I do think Adrian probably gives you the best chance to win against Iowa because I feel like I know about I know more about him in the passing game than I do uh, about Luke McCaffrey at this point. And 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 yes, part of what we know about Adrian in the passing game is that it's not perfect. In fact, it's not close to to perfect but i feel like nebraska can run more of its offense with him you at least know that he's seen this stuff um many more times that's that's the experience edge he's shown the ability to make those throws occasionally the the big issue was is just not making them consistently enough and he played poorly against northwestern played well enough like executed what they tried to do which wasn't that adventurous in the passing game but executed it against ohio state for the most part his game against iowa um ohio state from 2018 is the game everyone remembers from adrian martinez his game against iowa was better um he completed 68 of his passes against a really good defense and and part of the reason i lean towards him and it's 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 a close decision either way is just what i was able to do you know they've got the typically tough hawkeye defense that they seem to have every year um they don't give up explosive plays either way they give up a few more in the passing game uh they're a little bit worse in terms of efficiency on passing downs and standard downs which is like a, a bizarre kind of chink in the armor for a defense that that's good in about every other category so for those reasons and i mean and nebraska just needs this generally to beat any team. Nebraska needs more from its passing game. I think Adrian is more ready to to provide more, whatever that looks like. And it wouldn't take a lot to to be more at this point. I think Adrian's closer to providing that this week than Luke is.
3: Yeah, the thing that's so frustrating about this conversation is like you you go back to the way that they closed twenty eighteen and think about how optimistic everyone was about the team and the progress that it was making and the way that it had closed and then you say okay well what was like the sole driving force for that it was the quarterback he played well and it wasn't just him running it it was him throwing it he played well
1: it's yeah i it, it it really changes a lot and 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 that's the hard thing for people to wrap their head around right now and my, myself included is So, so what changed, you know, last year the official explanation was the players around Adrian need to be better. Okay. And maybe that's, that's carryover. Maybe that's still true, but it's, you still could watch, you go back and watch that Northwestern game and you can feel like the weight of everything that's come before it. The, the, the brilliant start, the brilliant freshman year, the sophomore year that didn't go quite to plan and you know, It feels like, you know, Adrian knows, he's like, okay, I I, I need to have been further along in my decision-making, and I'm not yet, and it's hurting my decision-making now. And and that's totally me projecting, but just, like, that's what it looked like watching him play against Northwestern.
3: It's kind of ironic that it's a brilliant start and then a struggling middle portion, and now you feel pressure towards the end.
1: It's kind of the way their games go, too. (laughs) Yeah, it it really is. I mean, so you look at this as a whole, um, the 2020 season as a whole come out and score first against Ohio state. Okay. That's good. Nebraska moves the ball first drive against plenty of people. Um, but you're in that game until, what, four or five minutes in the, into the, you know, or left in the second quarter. And then Ohio State gets rolling a little bit, and, you know, they're getting the ball, and you're like, okay, this is, this is trouble. And it turned out to be, like, they, they broke the game open, and that was that. Northwestern, you lead at halftime. Penn State, you've got a big lead at halftime, which is really key because it allowed Nebraska to be really, really safe with Luke to, you know, make manageable passing plays for him and really lean on him running. But against Illinois, um, bizarrely through, through circumstance and for the fact that Nebraska really didn't show up in any area, you fall behind early. And that's when you really see the limitations Nebraska is experiencing offensively, I think. Um, and part of the reason why I think actually Saturday looked worse than it was, um, if that play gets called back, who knows? Like even if Nebraska gets the punt on that first drive, uh, might drastically change things, but yeah, this is a team that is still obviously very much in progress. And I don't mean team, I mean program. So look at it from a three year view, a program still very much in process. It's a program that needs to have good things happen to it early. So if you want something to watch on Friday, uh, that'll probably be a pretty big one.
3: Yeah. Small margin for error. Um, after the game players said yeah we didn't practice well enough there wasn't enough intensity and and players have said that kind of throughout the beginning of this week that they there needs to be more focus in practice um that's that's you know in in a lot of instances regurgitating what they hear from their coaches that's that's the way the coaches want them to to think and operate that what you put in during practice week is you know what you reap is, is what you're going to sow on game days that's the way they want them to operate but then you have Scott Frost who says I didn't see this coming um, in terms of maybe organization with this team right now are you are, are you are you nervous at all about about where they're at you know they've had because this is not a not a new thing with them, a lack of preparation and practice. It's 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 strange to hear like, yeah, they got they got one win and then they were like, okay, we're good. We've made it. We've made it. And then, you know, and, and Greg Smith and Jay Foreman talked about this on their podcast and I hadn't thought about it like that, but it was like, that well, that's kind of been the messaging from Frost, hasn't it? You get one win and then this is going to turn. Hey, we just need one win and then this is going to turn. You know, they've had... whatever with I don't know, it's just it seems like an organizational thing that, that continues to not get worked out. Is that cause for concern with you at all?
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I think that disconnect between, and again like some of it might be might be semantics, kind of like you said, you know, the player's sometimes get coached on, on what to say, uh, particularly after a game like this, where, you know, it's going to be rough and people are upset. The fan base is upset. um, You're going to have to take some tough questions. Um, But that disconnect between, I didn't see this coming to every player saying, yeah, it wasn't our best week is, is troubling because being a successful football coach is controlling that. And I don't, I I don't mean to minimize that because it's brutally hard. Like it's, it's brutally hard to do that. And it's, it's why Nick Saban and Alabama are, are kind of such a remarkable example of, of football success. Like they may get beat a couple of times. Um, and it's only a couple of times, um, but they got this part locked down. And I think when you you think about kind of trying to rebuild a program, build it back up, whatever term you prefer there, the stages are, in my mind, like you lock up the execution part of it. Like you really don't have much control over how good you're gonna be year one. Um, Sometimes you can come in and your message clicks and and it's great. Um, Sometimes you can come in messages received by some, not by others. And, and you struggle. Um, but the, but the, you have to control what you can control. And that's like the effort and the execution. Like I don't care if we win or lose these games early on, we're going to out execute those teams. And then, so you start doing that and you start seeing some, some belief, then you can start adding talent advantages on top of it. And you can start getting quote unquote, your guys in in um, all of those things and I think for for coaching ten years that work, uh, particularly those that start slow, that's what it is. Um, you know ironically enough, Kirk Ferentz won one game his, his first year as I was head coach and then I think they won three games and then in year three uh, it went seven and five so got to that bowl game but that's that's 11 wins over three years. Frost is at 10 right now um, so, who knows? I mean, it's, it's part of why this game is, is so important. I think for Nebraska not that's, I mean, a, a win is what everybody wants of course, but just to come out and play well would, would be a big thing. But the overall point is, is I do not think that Nebraska at this point has locked in like, well, we, we we've got our execution down. We've got our techniques down. Like you're not going to step wrong and it's going to give up a 56 yard run. Like that part's done we're, that, that part's gone. We know we're not going to do that. We might be less talented. We might be outcoached. Um, and that's the thing. It's, it's all still there. Like it's all still a crap shoot going into each of these games. Like, well, maybe this is a game where they execute. Well, maybe it's not, maybe it's one where the efforts there, maybe it's not. And that's where you really start to have to, to, to get a little bit worried, I think about the progress of this program and what it has to do to change that.
3: Somebody asked us in our mailbag this week, if, uh, if we'd rather have Tom Allen as the head coach, Indiana's head coach, if we'd rather have Tom Allen over Scott Frost at this point, I'd like to get, and this is what I said in the mailbag, I'd like to give the benefit of the doubt a little bit to Scott. He's still a very young head coach. Um, and so, so some of that stuff is going to get worked out, but I mean, you just can't, you know, you can't have some of the issues where, you know, you can't practice like normal because you're not ready for it. That's just, that's stuff that it just can't happen in a year three. Um, how you kind of touched on, it, and I was going to ask you this question next. How important is this next game? Is this game against Iowa? It's a rivalry game. It, it 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 just means more. It means more. And Frost is never going to. Well, I shouldn't say never. So far, it seems like he's a guy that's not going to play up rivalry games, or not going to play up stakes for games that are bigger than just, well, it's just a, another game on our schedule. It's the next team on our schedule that, that we have to continue to play well. How important is this game contextually for like them as a program kind of trying to establish themselves in the Big Ten West? But then how how important is this game right now for them to show, hey, we have progress in general so that we don't see another tweet from a pass catcher prospect after the game of like, what am I supposed to think right now?
1: Right. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest danger, like getting a win would in a lot of ways, well, not in a lot of ways, it depends on people's perception of Iowa. And my perception of Iowa is really high right now. Like that's a really good football team that could be five and zero very easily. Um, and they're playing really well right now too is, is the thing. And also they've, they've won five straight. So, So you should have all of the motivation plus like, Hey guys, you were really bad last week you got to come out and not be bad again. Like we can't put two of those performances back to back. Um, So whether or not, you know, it's not a must win for Nebraska. I don't think um, because, you know, part of my whole approach is that one game on its own doesn't really change. It shouldn't really change perception to the degree that it does, but it's important for them to play well and, and to show that, Hey, we're not as bad as the team that lost last week. And if you want to use Iowa as our measuring stick right now, even if, you know, that's not anything that makes anyone happy and it's not anything anyone on the staff is, is, is going to do. Here's at least proof that, yeah, there is some progress because right now that's the thing. Like Frost is, he keeps saying that I I see the progress. Like I know this is going to turn around and for everybody else just like okay but why isn't it on the field you need something that backs that up a little bit and i think playing iowa at this specific time playing iowa well uh has the potential to do that so it's more of a i guess to (laughs) sorry derek i'm really terrible at being succinct um which which you probably know by now but uh it's a game that has more upside than downside to me for nebraska
3: it's not a it's not a must win, but it's
1: certainly a must play well. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and, and, and I expect I, I really do expect Nebraska to play well. Um, last week was really bad. You almost can't be as bad as that again. But though, no, you hesitate to even say that because then you then they, they come out and prove you wrong. Um, but I, I, I do expect Nebraska to play well against a really good defense um, offensively. I was basically identical to nebraska it just looks a lot different when you pair that with a a team that ranks third against explosive plays and second against explosive rushing plays and 11th against passing plays so <laughs> your top 15 at not giving up big plays uh, your offense can be a little bit middle of the road yeah
3: you have a much larger universe of Nebraska games to pull from when you say, well, it can't be that bad. And, and then I'm over here like I've seen four seasons now, and it's always been like, well, it can't get worse, can it? And then it gets worse. So we'll see. I don't I don't know. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Yeah, we, we will.
3: Um. I, had, I had somebody, I shared Frost's. Um, I think you bring up a really good point because I shared Frost's. Or I tweeted out a, a quote from him where he was like if you're if you're in the building you see the progress it was it was another one of those quotes where he was like I see it I see it moving forward I see it I can see it and somebody said does he ever elaborate on like reasons why he believes that and I kind of sat there and thought about it and I was like that's a really tough thing to get from a fan because that says that they don't see it and that they're watching game days and they can't they can't see it they can't see anything we got I mean and we got another question in our mailbag that said, what building blocks do we have right now? And to be getting those questions in year three is, is rough. So we we'll, I agree with you. It might not necessarily be a must win because I don't think that they're going to win, but it definitely is a, a they have to play better. So we'll yep. see. Well, Brandon, yeah. you've got, you've got work to do. I'm sure you've got a podcast coming out also um, kind of, was it around the same time? It's Thursday morning too, right?
1: Yeah, so I, I I debated moving it up a day with the earlier game day, but I decided uh, we'll go with Thursday. So that's uh, you can listen to that one as well. Go into uh, a little bit more of of how Nebraska I think has a shot in this game. Um, I also have some some hot Thanksgiving takes on on turkey and ham, so you can check that out. Are you a turkey and cranberry sauce guy? I, I will eat some cranberry sauce. Um, it's not like by my- my favorite thing. And no, I'm not gravy goes on my Turkey, not cranberry sauce, like Frost. Okay. Excellent.
3: Are you a, are you a ham guy? What is your ham hot take?
1: Um, well, you got to listen to the podcast to, to find that out. Um, the the short version is, is these people who come out and say, Turkey is actually bad. I'm not here for that. That's not a hot take. Nobody's favorite food is Turkey. Like you you haven't found that person. Like Turkey is fine. And if you, care for it a little bit, it can be pretty good, but ham is better. Like ham is obviously better. No, but it's not, it's not Thanksgiving. No, it's not. Ham is not better.
3: No, ham is not better.
1: Listen to the podcast and find out why. Uh, My, my short answer is you're eating the wrong ham.
3: My Thanksgiving take, and it's not going to be as, as fleshed out or nuanced as yours, but my Thanksgiving take is just that ham is trash. And that's really like my like holiday food take that ham should never be part of the dinner. We don't have, uh, a Christmas ham. We've never done that in, in my household because I, I, probably because I throw a fit about it all the time. We, I think we do meatloaf for Christmas. I think that's one of the things that we do for Christmas. We do a meatloaf. Or we do a Turkey. My grandma tries to do hams for Christmas. And I think, I think I tried to shut that down a handful of times.
1: Okay.
3: Turkey wow. is the, the far superior of the two, especially when you okay. put gravy on it.
1: Yeah. It, it, as as a delay as a gravy delivery device it's excellent um but <laughs> give me some time uh, i can i can sway you on that ham thing Won't happen. ham can be worse than turkey but like i said check out the IED preview podcast i spend the first uh, section of the show on this so go back and listen to that before uh well, depending on when you listen to this, hopefully before the Huskers kick off against Iowa. Cause it's a preview podcast. So yeah. You hopefully. can listen to it after that. It's all the same to me, but uh, yeah, it works best that way.
3: It's a better delivery device beforehand. So uh, write your, write your book on why ham is better than Turkey, put it on your bookshelf and I will put it on my Christmas list.
1: Okay. All right. I'm not, Yeah. It'll take me, it might take me book length to fully explain what I tried to do in like six minutes on the podcast. So that'll be a, that'll be a preview.
3: All right. Brandon, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Up next, you guys are about to hear uh, an interview that was, that was pre-recorded, not by me, but by our, our, our Hale Varsity radio guy, Chris Schmidt. He had the athletics, Scott Doctorman. Scott follows the Hawkeyes. Uh, This interview is actually going to air on the radio show Friday morning. So listen to that pregame uh, but my listeners get to hear the interview now. So here is Scott Docterman from The Athletic talking to Hale Varsity Radio's Chris Schmidt about Nebraska-Iowa.
4: Another showdown for Nebraska-Iowa what a crazy mixed-up season this has been uh, in the Big Ten. I want to go back to the first couple of weeks with where Iowa started and that's a, a tough one to Northwestern and of course the, the loss at Purdue. Kind of take me through the progress you've seen from Iowa now from then.
0: You know, the first week was just kind of, to me, kind of classified as growing pains. And Iowa has a tendency to do that every year, which is why it doesn't really start with any of those big splashy games that usually opens with a Mac opponent, just to kind of work out the kinks and get, get self-ready to play, especially usually against Iowa State, and then next week or the week after. And In this case, it, it just didn't have that opportunity to work those out. I mean, they had a lot of players that were gone from the previous years. They committed ten penalties, which is really unlike Iowa, and two massive fumbles inside Purdue territory and lost by four points. And then against Northwestern, it was, uh, you know, I think it was a combination of really uh, a poor game plan and, and poor execution by quarterback Spencer Petris. Asking your sophomore to throw, you know, 50 times against that defense is is not a very good uh, game plan in my eyes and certainly not good game calling. And, and uh, But, you know, they still lost by a point. It's it just I thought they were close in those games, obviously, to winning, but also just looking good. And then they, they since then kind of turned it on and, and ramped it up and, and looked much better prepared and more disciplined. And, and uh, in some areas that they've actually – are well beyond where they've been in recent years and i would say certainly running the football they're they're better now they've been in a decade and and uh defensively they've grown uh you know immensely i would say over the last three weeks
4: what were some question marks with the departures i know epinesa was gone Uh, i know that iowa lost stanley at quarterback but you know, how how confident were Iowa fans about kind of the, the reload portion or what was needed? Werfs has gone. What was needed to reload on both lines of scrimmage? Because that's where Iowa's been so good for so long.
0: I think if you were to ask me, you know, who was the most impactful departure, it was probably A.J. Ebenezer. Because mm-hmm. Tristan Werfs, they, they did have people who played that position. And, could, you know, nobody's as athletic as Tristan Werfs, but. Uh, they, they could cover for him and play well. Uh, but Epidezza had a, he just, he was such a good player that they didn't have anybody on the roster who could do everything he did. And, and that showed up the first game, especially. But I think even more noticeable to me once I started watching those games and, and then rewatched them was the absence of two NFL caliber defensive backs. And, and against Purdue with David Bell, who's a tremendous wide receiver, and, and that style of play. Uh, they they really miscommunicated. They didn't get to their spot. they needed to be, and in, in pass coverage. And once they they made some you know fail mistakes. And and David Bell's an NFL receiver, and he's caught three mm-hmm. touchdown passes, including the game winner when they couldn't decide if they were in Manners' zone at the goal line. And, and uh, since then they've been very very good. But you know that first game that's a tricky one. And usually again you, you I will play at Miami of Ohio and make a few mistakes like that, but it never comes back to, to beat them and. It certainly did in that
4: week. Scott Docterman's with us. Hale Varsity Radio previewing Nebraska, Iowa, Black Friday. So w- when we look at Petrus, where is, is he at in his growth, and, and what's the ask of him with Iowa? I look at, at the, the at Goodson. I look at uh, uh, the receiving core. I, I look at, at some of the weapons he has is he just to keep the car on the road? Is that fair to say?
0: Well, he needs to do that. And that's been kind of an issue, I I would say, most of the year, that um, he's not as consistent as he needs to be. I thought last week he played probably his best game. Um, He needs to kind of elevate himself to be in that of a game manager, maybe not to Nate Stanley's level last year or, or last couple of years, but he needs to put himself in a position where he can make plays through the air if needed. And he hasn't quite done that yet, and you look at, at Iowa as a whole, in every area, they've met or exceeded my expectations, anyway. They're running the ball better than I thought they would. Defensively, they're, you know, especially the last few weeks, against some pretty good teams. offensively, I think they've really played well, but uh, in special teams, that they may be one of the best in the country, but passing game, they're not, and they do have good wide receivers, as you mentioned, they have four that are very talented, if not five, and and yet uh, the quarterback's struggling to get the ball there on time and in a lot of different routes. He's made it for every one good pass. He makes two or three not-so-good ones. So I think that's the difference right now for him is to make the makeable plays. If the receivers are open, hit them. If they're not, well, don't try to force the ball in there, which is what happened against Northwestern. So he's still got room to grow. Um, He's probably not as far along as I thought he'd be. Uh, But we, we could, you know, maybe by the end of the year he'll get there and, I, I do expect probably an open competition next year, though.
4: Scott, what's your your view on Nebraska as they come in? And Nebraska's had issues at quarterback. Nebraska's had issues on offense. But overall, Nebraska's had issues on, on third down defensively and taking care of the football. The turnovers on offense have been just killers for, for this team. But this game's been close, and it's been close the last two years, Do you expect uh, a tight one in the fourth, or is this going to be Iowa kind of going back to to maybe what they did to to Nebraska during the Riley era? (laughs) You know,
0: when you match everything from the numbers to the the styles, I mean, it it doesn't suggest that it would be close. But then again, you know, this is college football, and and these are college kids, and and as you mentioned, you know, there's a trophy on, this, on the line, mm-hmm. and the Nebraska players uh, haven't beaten Iowa. They've lost five straight. So you think that there's going to be a really game effort. They've got some talented players. And, you know, they, they have to do some things that maybe are uncharacteristic for both programs in order to make it uh, a close competitive game late in the fourth quarter where it can go either way, and that is Nebraska's going to have to convert on third down. It's also going to have to stop Iowa on mm-hmm. third down. Uh, it's, it's going to have to control the line of scrimmage it's, Iowa's gonna ha- they're going to have to force Iowa to throw and, and make and, and turn over the football which it did in the first two games but hasn't really the last three weeks so there's a lot of different elements you've got to kind of hope for or, or not necessarily plan for I mean those are usually elements that you kind of go okay if it's a close game then if the turnover battle goes our way if field position goes our way then maybe we got a chance it, it, you really kind of have to stretch it so, I, I mean, I guess I, I I think Iowa is the better team mm-hmm. now. You throw in a lot of different things, and then things come out differently, and I would expect a game effort from Nebraska. I would not expect a letdown from Iowa. They've been through too much uh, early this season, last summer. So I, I think you're going to see a very, um, you know, spirited game for both sides.
4: You kind of hinted at where I was going next. Scott Docterman's with us. Covers the Hawkeyes for the athletic. At Scott Doctorman on Twitter is where you find him. How have things settled in the locker room and with the coaching staff based on how Iowa's summer has gone? I know that there's some some litigation going on, but as far as chemistry and leadership and communication with with Kirk and and the kids, how is Iowa's uh, headspace right now with all of that?
0: Yeah, I had a lot of questions during the summer and even early into the season as to whether or not they were going to be able to overcome that, or if, there was, if that was going to be kind of that, uh, you know, that elephant in the room per right. se. And and uh, you know, losing the first two games and then the Sunday after the Northwestern loss, when Amir Smith Marset had, had an OWI, you know, I kind of thought, okay, things are probably getting close to spiraling out of control. Instead, it went the other way. Uh, this remains a very close knit team with good chemistry. Uh, they, they fought together during the summer. They made a lot of changes in the program that made everybody feel more inclusive mm-hmm. so That some of the people who felt a little bit outside the box, who were brought in under the fold. And and so I think if anything, it's galvanized them, that kind of adversity that can destroy teams and destroy locker rooms. And I had a real question of whether it would do the same to in Iowa instead flip the other way. So I think that's impressive um, for a program that's gone through this much. And so in talking to the players and the coaches, they feel like that it's made them better, more tough, more mentally tough, and you know, and, and fighting that kind of adversity. And so, to come as far as they have, even in a short period of time, they, they just don't see any kind of letdown, no matter who they face. Just because they've they've come too far to to let it all kind of slip away.
4: Nebraska's been better, Scott, at at matching Iowa at at the line of scrimmage. I think Nebraska's recruited well. And I think uh, Rodgers and uh, specifically Robinson on the interior along with uh, with Snacks, uh, big old 93. So I think Nebraska's better on the interior. I don't know where Nebraska's at on the offensive line. And from your viewpoint as you've scouted Nebraska just a little bit, kind of what's your takeaway with, with Nebraska's Offensive line, and more specifically, why do you think I, Nebraska's offense has given Iowa problems the last couple of years?
0: You know, it's been a couple of, a combination, I think, the last few years of comebacks. I mean, Iowa's had, been up a couple of different, you know, both games, I think, uh, by two touchdowns or more, and then Nebraska's made it, you know, been, is really, has not only hit for big plays, but just see kind of Iowa out of sorts. It's just, for whatever reason, every every call, every position has just been out of out of position, mm-hmm. and you know, and you've seen that, you know. And as far as the the offense, I I like the way that they move the quarterback. I think you'd like to see a bell cow running back. I think Wandale Robinson's terrific. It's just a matter of can he be uh, uh, used all over the place like he's intended, and not just simply as a running back. But I like you know, the way that they can get those quarterbacks going, because both of them are great athletes. It's just can they do it consistently against a team that's built to stop the run that's done a really good job of that in the last few weeks and and is very physical at the point of attack. And, I mean, they do last week, you know, for instance, Will Levis had 53 yards, you know, and the the team had 53 yards on the first drive, and primarily from Will Levis. Over the last three quarters, Penn State had nine yards. So they've been able to slow that down. So I would expect early on Nebraska to – to kind of feel out of Iowa, to get some good yards. And then, um, you know, where they make their headway is when it looks like Iowa's going to pull away, that they've closed the gap. And if they can do that, then, then I think that they can make it a competitive game into the fourth quarter.
4: Scott Docterman's with us from The Athletic, covers the Hawkeyes, at Scott Docterman on Twitter. So what what does Nebraska mean to Iowa, this program, this this staff? It, it, they, Iowa's done a really good job of being consistent, so they've not put one team up on a pedestal above another. They're all big games. Nebraska learned that last weekend. That that mm-hmm. said, there's the rivalry element to it, and is there a little extra juice from this one, from the Iowa staff and the players, just knowing the streak that, that exists against Nebraska?
0: It's interesting because Iowa has four trophy games, and they have you know great history with Minnesota for the Pig and and Wisconsin over you know 120 mm-hmm. 130 years, and so those games matter as much as as any of them. And same thing with Iowa State, which unfortunately they didn't get to play. I think I think Nebraska's in that. It, it really you know when we've talked about the rivalry component for a lot of years between Iowa and Nebraska, and it kind of I think both fan bases sway on it a little bit, and really it comes down to can they ever get to a situation where that game means something to both programs and then possibly to one of the programs and the other team knock them off? Can it draw blood? Can it, can it be a winner-take-all? And, and I thought going back to when it first started in 2011 at Black Friday it was going to, that you pick over 10 years, it's probably at least twice it's going to matter like that, and it, it really hasn't. So I think once, if, if we can get, whether it's Nebraska at that level or if Iowa can inch up a little bit higher and get a winner-take-all game for the West Division title – then I think you'll see it kind of elevate probably in the eyes of both programs, the fans, and certainly at Iowa. And then beyond that, um, if you could get a team where, you know, one's a win away from getting to the, to the to Indianapolis, mm-hmm. maybe even the playoff, and, and the other team knocking them off, and I think that'll add to it too. So right now I think there's there's a lot of uh, the rivalry components there, but I think it's, it's among, you know, three other great rivalries for Iowa.
4: Scott, a Big Ten question before we let you go, and thanks so much for squeezing us in. With uh, with Northwestern, do you think they stay unscathed? They're supposed to on paper. Big Ten's been really wacky. Uh, Indiana looked dead at halftime, and they were incredible in the second half last week. But with Coach Fitzgerald, do you think th- this Northwestern team c- can continue to be special? They have found a-, a lot of different ways to win, and that's to their credit second part uh, with uh, is there a is there an offer Fitz would listen to and maybe look uh, to the NFL <laughs>
0: I'll take your second part. I hope it's the Chicago Bears. <laughs> As a Bears you, fan, you and all I'm, the Bears
4: I'm, fans are, are like, yeah, sign him up, move him. Oh, wait a minute, <laughs> you don't have to.
0: <laughs> right, and, and to top that off, I'm sure fans in Iowa City and Madison and Lansing and probably Lincoln would be willing to go help him move. No, but you
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. It's like, hey, we'll we'll load the boxes. If we don't we won't do that for our brother, but we'll do it for you. <laughs> but uh, no, I. I and, fully anticipate Northwestern running the table. I I think Minnesota's the only team on the schedule that could create some problems for them. I I mean, Illinois probably could run in the football a little bit. Minnesota's got enough on offense that it could score some points. How many? uh, You know, it's hard to say. If it's less than three touchdowns, I I think Northwestern wins. If it's more than that, that it's a different game. And I'll say this, and maybe I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say, I, I think they could be very competitive with Ohio State. I think they have an outstanding defense. And for me to see what they were able to do at Kinnick, they were down 17 nothing at Iowa City. Now, if the stadium was full, they're not coming back. Right. But it wasn't, and they did what they did. And they put together two great drives, and they forced three interceptions. I think that they could go to Indianapolis and frustrate Justin Fields and make it a competitive game. Not going to predict a win, but mm-hmm. I think they are – legitimate. I think they'll go undefeated in in regular season play. I think they'll go and give Ohio State a great game and uh, be a great representative to the West Division.
3: Thanks to Chris Schmidt uh, for for that audio. Once again, that was Scott Docterman with The Athletic. You can hear Chris's full radio show Friday morning from 9 to 11. That'll be before Nebraska kicks off its Black Friday game against Iowa. Joining me now, I've got Jacob Bedilla because Nebraska basketball has officially tipped off its season. Jacob, I believe, is driving home after filing as Gamer. Nebraska won 102-55 to 55 against McNeese State. I'm just reading the tweet here, Jacob, so don't get mad at me, but these aren't your 2019-20 Huskers, is what it says. Why do you say that?
2: Well, um, first off, 83% of the points of the 102 points for today were by guys who didn't play for the team last year.
3: So it's literally um, not the same team.
2: Correct. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it looked a lot more like a Fred Hoiberg team and a lot more like a Doc Sather team, too, defensively, with their effort on that end. Uh, facing, facing was good, a lot of ball movement, a lot of open shots. Um, individually, a lot of different guys made plays. The offensive balance was really good. They had 16 steals and scored 43 points off of 27 forced turnovers. So um, a lot of different things went well for Nebraska. Today and that's what uh, has to happen if you want to crack triple digits.
3: So, was it was it fun to watch? I mean, was this like a palate cleanser for people after watching some crappy Nebraska football and some not fun to watch Nebraska basketball games last year? Was this a palate cleanser? Are you in a good good spirits? How are you right now?
2: Yeah, I'm feeling good. It definitely was fun to watch. Um, they had some some highlight reel plays. Trey McAllen's got up a couple of times for some nice alley oops and. Had a couple of dunks, too, that uh, didn't quite go down that would have brought the house down if there was anybody in there. So uh, it, it was fun to watch, watching a guy like Delano Banton uh, do a little bit of everything. He had a 14 points, six assists, six rebounds, four blocks, three steals. And afterward, Fred Hoiberg said, that's who Delano is. And that's kind of what they're counting on him for this season. And uh, one interesting thing is Fred Hoiberg talked about kind of narrowing the uh, – the, the group down to six star, uh, six potential starters yesterday, and he opted to go with the small ball lineup with Latman at the five and Ivan Udrago coming off the bench, and it, it, it worked out pretty well today, at least. Uh, Lat Mayan knocked down his first three three-pointers, got him off to a great start, and then other guys kind of picked it up from there.
3: Lat shot seven uh, three-point attempts. He finished with 13 points. He was one of six Nebraska players that, that finished in double digits. What did you think of of their small ball lineup of lat at center. He looks, I mean, he's got, he's got legs for days. The dude is incredibly tall. He's the same size as, what is it Udrago, as as Ivan. It's been a year and I forgot how to pronounce the dude's name. He's the same size as Ivan in terms of height, but I think, you know, we'll have to wait until they get into big 10 play to see what happens down low. What did you think of that small ball lineup? Is that going to be sustainable for them? Or is he going to kind of mix and match depending on, depending on what the matchup is?
2: Yeah, that is kind of the biggest question, I think, facing this team, obviously, with kind of some developments surrounding the team that we found out today as well uh, in terms of their center depth. But um, for for this game, it absolutely worked out. There were a couple times where I thought uh, McNeese State's uh, big guys got kind of in in close position and scored pretty easily inside. But for the most part, defensively, they held up pretty well. And, again, they – they had a lot of different guys in the passing lanes using that length kind of really harass players and, uh, to get the fourth turnovers and turn it the other way. And that's what Fred Hoiberg said they're going to have to do this year. They're going to have to generate offense off of turnovers. They're going to have to get other teams fed up because of that lack of true size in the post. And Ivan got in and he did some things on the glass and whatever, but he, he really struggled offensively and he's going to have to play better for them, especially because we found out today that Derek Walker will be suspended for 16 games dating back to a, uh, something that happened while he was still at Tennessee and Eduardo Andre, the the freshman center uh, they brought in this year. He was not in the building today and we got a a release after the game from Nebraska stating that a player that, did not play today, had tested positive, and has been in isolation. And he was the only one on, uh, only eligible player on the roster that did not play today. So you can kind of connect the dots there. So th- this small ball lineup is going to have to work. It's going to have to be a team effort with uh, guys helping each other out. If we do uh, see Nebraska go up against some teams with uh, with true post players, which we know that will happen in the Big Ten. But for now, I think Fred Hoiberg likes what he got out of that book in game one.
3: They forced 27 turnovers. They had 43 points off those turnovers. They had 29 fast-break points. Shot 50% from the field, 42% from three. You said this in the beginning that this looked like more of a Fred Hoiberg team. How 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 much of this was just, it was McNeese State? And how much of this was, you, or, or how much of this do you think was more of, this, this is a team that has the tools that a Fred Hoiberg team has to run what he wants to run.
2: Yeah, I think the 102 points was a matter of the, the competition more so than anything, but uh, the way they played and the kind of success they had in certain areas, I definitely think they've got the, the personnel to keep playing that way against other competition. Now, will they there were some, certainly some areas that you would have liked to see them do better, and there's still some some question marks as, Nebraska moves on to face other high-major teams uh, with more size and more athleticism. They didn't finish great at the rim all the time, uh, and that wasn't just Ivan. Um, so that's something they're going to have to uh, shore up. There were some bad decisions in terms of they had a, a few charges early where guys were just kind of crashing through the defender. You had to do a little better job of decision-making there and um, kind of reading the defense to make the right play. But for the most part, they made a lot of simple plays they shared the ball, uh, 19 assists to 10 turnovers. I think Fred will take that, uh, that ratio all game, or all season long. So there are a lot of things to uh, be excited about with this team in terms of how they're going to be able to play this season.
3: They also made 20 free throws.
2: <laughs> yeah, it got us through a little bit rough start there, but towards the end there they, they started picking it up and taking uh, uh, that percentage up to about 69%.
3: Okay, i got to ask, do you have the stat sheet in front of you because all of these numbers are, I have it in front of me, all of these numbers are right on the money. Do you have it in front of you while you're driving or you just have a photographic memory?
2: <laughs> no, I, uh, I actually have not left the parking lot yet. Oh. So I, I figured uh, it would be, be a little easier to do this to, while I had uh, the stat sheet up and um, while I didn't I didn't, I didn't have to focus on driving while I was talking to you. So I want to give you my full attention.
3: I appreciate that. Do you have AirPods?
2: Uh, no, just regular
3: headphones. You should try to get a pair of AirPods for Black Friday or like for Christmas. Those things changed my life. You can talk in the car. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this because I don't know if it's illegal to have them both in your ear when you're driving, but I use them when I'm driving because it's super easy to talk
2: in the car. <laughs> well, see, my brother has a pair, but I just, I've just always gone with kind of cheap headphones. It's been working for me. What
3: surprised you most about what you saw on the court? surprised me. Was there anything?
2: I don't, yeah, I don't know that there's anything that really surprised me. Again, considering the competition and the players on the roster and everything like that. Um, one thing that was good to see was uh, Trey McGowan's coming out and knocking down both of his three-point shots. Um, he's a guy that uh, struggled a little bit, was about 31% last year at Pitt. And Fred Horberg spoken highly of his improvement and his development as a shooter. And, again, he only took two of them today. But both of them went down. They both looked good. And that'll be huge if they can get some shooting from guys not named Sawyer Zorby and Arnison and um, uh, Lapman. And those two combined for five of their ten three-pointers today. So they did get a little bit of help from some other guys, including uh, redshirt freshman uh, Jake Piotrowski out there. Uh, knocking down the corner three for his first career points to give nebraska 100 uh, 100 for the game so i'm sure that was pretty cool for him and his family to see that um so it was good uh kind of got Brett porter some playing time down the stretch too there got his first minute so even got their bill uh, their walk-ons in and elijah Wood, their other freshman so everybody that was eligible got a chance to play today got at least uh, three minutes so that's kind of kind of what you want out of a season opener like this or get everybody a chance and keep the minutes down and really balance things out.
3: What was the atmosphere and like, what was it like inside Pinnacle Bank Arena?
2: It, it was really weird. Uh, they, they're playing the, this crowd noise that it it just does not sound natural. It really does sound like kind of a, a weird recording uh, of crowd noise and they kind of play it throughout the game. Um, it's not like the, uh, it's not like NFL games where you see uh, teams kind of like playing boos and uh, cheers and kind of changing the volume at different times reacting to the game. It's just kind of a steady uh, noise in the background throughout the whole game. And that was bizarre. Nebraska did not allow any people into the building outside of um, the the team, the arena staff, and um, the media. So we we did see the uh, the Golden Window Classic at least. There were some family members for North Dakota State for a game after Nebraska's today, so th- theirs is a little different. But at least for Nebraska's non-conference game, th- the stands were completely empty outside of kind of photographers. So it definitely was – I think I've been covering games that have been a little different uh, with a reduced crowd, but I haven't been to one that's been completely empty yet this season. So it was kind of surreal coming out and walking in like I did and seeing nobody around
3: not even having families there. Is that a Nebraska decision or a Big Ten decision?
2: Uh, that's, that's probably something that I, sh- I should get clarified, but I- I'm not sure. Hmm.
3: But there, but you said there were f- at least, like, parents, uh, select parents in there for the North Dakota State-Nevada game afterward.
2: Correct. Uh, North Dakota State has a Lincoln, uh, uh, a Lincoln East graduate, Sam Gariso, on the team. Um, so I'm sure... <laughs> Most of the people there were probably his family, but um, there was a small, I kind of tweeted out a picture if people want to see, just that was the only group in the building for it. Um, I didn't necessarily count, but um, there were a small amount. So we'll kind of see what things look like tomorrow when Nebraska plays Nevada.
3: This is um, this is almost an entirely new team, like you said. Wade Draugo, because I know how to pronounce his name, and Thorby Arnarsson are the only two that played last year, correct? Correct. Were you... With with
2: a cold rope and missing the season, yes.
3: Right. Were you surprised that Thor kept his starting spot? Were you surprised that Ivan lost his starting spot?
2: So, a little bit, just based on kind of, I wasn't sure if Fred wanted to leave Lat at the five and kind of subject him to playing against bigger guys for um that that long and kind of having him playing full time at that spot um that was kind of a, a little surprising i i'm not terribly surprised i think most of us thought that thor would move to the bench this season just based on the guys they brought in and kind of some of the options but he continues to do all the right things and fred horiberg loves the way he plays and how smart he is and how disciplined he is i mean today he was the, the primary defender on Drew Cookshausen, the the Scott Swift native, who uh, led the country in three pointers made last year and shot almost forty six percent. And he's the guy that was chasing around screens and Drew led him in scoring with eleven points, but you know he was three of eight from three, and most so of those were contested. So Thor did a great job of kind of limiting his options and then knocked down a couple of three pointers and got got a nice little floating layup himself. So he just continues to do the right things with the. Uh, his offensive movement, his ball movement, and defensively being in the right spot. So those are the kind of players that coaches always love. Guys that you know exactly what you're going to get from them, and I think he does a good job of balancing out some of those other guys in that in that starting lineup.
3: Really, really high level thinker. What are your expectations for this team? So it's, it's still early enough that I can ask you this question. What are your expectations of this team this year?
2: I man, I really have no idea. I think I. I don't think they're a 13th place team in the Big Ten just based on the pieces they have. And um, today, I I didn't see enough to be all gung ho and like move them up to like fifth in the conference or something like that. But I didn't see enough that has me worried that they're going to go win two games in the conference again or whatever. I think they're going to be a competitive team in the Big Ten this year. Now, how, how many of these games go their way? Uh, they're obviously going to play a lot of really good teams in the conference this year. That uh, we still have to. I need to kind of see a few more games, see how they handle the rest of this non-conference slate before I feel strongly about where I, uh, where I might project them within the Big Ten hierarchy. But I definitely don't think they're um, going to be at the bottom of the conference. Um, as as much as they were last year. They're going to have a chance to beat some of these teams and compete every time they step out there. And that's a big difference from what we saw last year.
3: Fair enough. Reason for people to be optimistic or even excited maybe, depending on how this football season closes out. Well, Jacob, I'll let you get on the road, let you get home. Thank you for coming on the podcast, giving some time, and talking basketball. I'm sure you're happy about that.
2: Yeah, looking forward to finally diving in here and getting going with this. We've been this is the longest offseason any of us have ever experienced. So I feel like I've talked about this team uh, so many times, It's gotten to the point where I you know, like what football happened earlier this year. We're like, all right, I, there's nothing really else I can say about this team. I need some games to actually process and uh, analyze here. So excited about that. Hopefully we can, uh, fingers crossed that we can keep this going.
3: Yep. All right. Thanks, buddy. That'll do it for this week. We will have coverage of football and basketball on HaleVarsity.com throughout the weekend. Hope everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving Thursday. I hope everybody's able to enjoy Black Friday. I hope. We'll see. We'll see. Thanks to Brandon for coming on. Thanks to Jacob for coming on. Thanks to Chris Schmidt for lending us his his interview with Scott Doctorman. Thanks to Scott for doing that. Like I said, we'll have coverage through the weekend. Basketball will play Thursday afternoon. They'll play again on Saturday obviously has the noon kickoff on friday so just keep reading HailVarsity.com. subscribe to all of the hail varsity podcast offerings through the herd at media network it's HailVarsity.com backslash network go there you can get all of the hail varsity podcast offerings you can get them every single day sasha has one thanks to sasha for producing today we'll be back next week